Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon, and this is episode number 97. Today is going to be very different. As many of you remember, last year my co-host and I had a trail camera bet, which I ended up losing. So, as his reward, my co-host, Mr. Dan Johnson, has won the right to host one episode of this podcast. And that podcast starts right now. All right. Hello, everybody. This this is going to be a strange episode because, <laughs> <laughs> as Mark said, I am your host. Now, I told Mark... Uh, before this podcast started that I had all these plans laid out and every all these talking points and we're we're gonna have this awesome uh, podcast but I totally lied to him because all my notes are <laughs> on are on a post-it note that's like oh perfect three inches by three inches <laughs> <laughs> so it'll at least give us something to get the ball rolling with well what about our guest what about our big special guest that you've been planning for so long Rick Flair could not make it today. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> he, yeah, he was he was busy. Bummer. Yeah, so I I honestly I, I didn't even reach out to anybody. But here's what I'm thinking we're going to do today. You know, at the beginning of every episode we have our BS portion of the show, right? Our yeah, yeah. BS session. So, this podcast is going to be an entire BS session. <laughs> Perfect. So we have no direction. We have no we're we have a blank canvas in front of us, and me and you are the artists today. What do you think about that? And with that, ten thousand five hundred people just turned off their podcast player. Right. <laughs> right. So this this is probably going to be the lowest rated podcast that you have, but at least it's gonna give us a break and we can we can relax. You know? Oh yeah. No, I I like it. I like the idea. I gotta I I came well prepared for this, unbeknownst to me. I've got myself a cold beverage, so we're just going to kick back and enjoy uh, enjoy some, some bro time, right? Right, some bro time. You might need to go get another beer. You can drink one beer while, while we're talking, and then the other beer you can chug while I'm dive-bombing this episode into the crowd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should make a drinking game out of this. Every time you really, really embarrass yourself, I'll take a big swig. <laughs> Okay, and I, I also – well, I didn't really write it down. I'm just shooting from my head here. For those potential sponsors who are listening to this show that have yet to um, you know, maybe sponsor this podcast, just skip to another one. Yeah. That's, what, <laughs> that's what it's really – that's what we're – that's the one you really want to listen to. That's, so, that's true. I definitely don't want any prospective sponsors to hear this one. <laughs> to, to make to make a decision based off this one. So, All right. So you've been warned. So, yep. So with that said. <laughs> hey, you're even using my lines. <laughs> I know. I have to, right? I got I to gotta ease into it so people aren't scared right away, right? That's true. That's true. I like your, I like your plan here. It's working. All right. So here's what I'm thinking we're going to do. We're just going to BS. I'm going to ask you some questions. You're going to ask me some questions and we're just kind going to kind of let the flow take control. Okay. You down with that? I'm down for sure. Okay. All right. So it is 
almost April. And for me, April is turkey hunting season. Okay. Mm-hmm. So my first question is, are you going to be turkey hunting with a gun or a bow this year? Very good question. I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, so I've always, well, I can't remember how much I've told you about how I started turkey, but when I first started turkey hunting, I didn't grow up in a turkey hunting family or anything. Um, I just picked it up, you know, late in life myself. So I don't know, eight, nine years ago, I first started going just with a friend and just watched for a year. Um, I think the next year I went out with a gun, but never even came close to a turkey. The third year, I decided I would try bow hunting. And I did have a couple good encounters, but either couldn't get a shot off or I missed. (laughs) So I think year number four, I decided I should try just using a gun so I could finally kill one. So I did that, switched to a gun, and then I started killing a bunch of turkeys. So over the last like five years or so, I've had a lot of success with the shotgun. So this year, I think I want to up the challenge factor and switch to a bow. Just because the last few years I've been killing turkeys opening morning um, in the different places I've hunted. And I kind of want to ramp it up a notch and extend my season and the challenge a little bit. So I think think I'm going to switch to a bow, but I'm still not 100% sure because I, you know. It's not easy with the bow, so I'm not sure. I, I'm i leaning towards the bow, though. Okay. What, what about you? I'm leaning towards the bow, too, but here's the deal. In Iowa, you can use your bow for the entire length of the season, right? If you use a gun, it's broken down into four different seasons. Okay. So I can use it from the beginning all the way through the fourth se- – what they call the four seasons, right? But it's for archery, it's one entire season. Um, so in the past I've used guns a lot and I have, you know, had my fair share of success. Um, last year I got a bow tag thinking I might go out, um, a little bit more, but my wife was 38 weeks pregnant. And so, and it kind of rained a little bit. So I didn't get out to hunt by myself as much as as I'd like this year. I think we're going to have, my wife's not pregnant knock on wood and (laughs) (laughs) not that we know of yet. (laughs) Exactly. Not that we know of. And, um, so I I think I'm going to be able to take a little bit more vacation time and I'm going to try to knock one down with a bow this year. I think that'd be a lot of fun. That's that's really nice. In Iowa, you get a longer season with the bow too. Right. Right. Now is Michigan one of those States where you have to stop hunting at like noon? No Turkey. Nope. We don't have any time restrictions. So we've got, We've got the full day, and um, there's there's a number of different time periods that the season is broken up to, depending on what license you get, what region you're in, and all that. Um, but uh, but I like to go for the early season, and uh, so that means I'm going to be kicking off April 18th is the opening day, I believe, here in Michigan. So I'm going to be hunting for the that first. It's a two week season, I think, for the the tag I'll be getting. So it'll be like April 18th through. I don't know, like the end of April or something, something like that. So the plan hopefully will be to um, to kill one myself in the first couple of days. And then I have uh, my buddy Josh and my dad coming down for the following weekend. And I'm going to try to guide them to a bird each as well. So that's what I got in the plans for Michigan. And then we'll be going to Ohio too. Gotcha. So are you, do you get a landowner's tag in Michi- Michigan? So it's not a landowner's tag since I don't own any property, but there's like a a private land tag versus a public land tag. Um, So I've got a private land tag since I'm going to be hunting on private land that I have by permission. Got ya. Got ya. Now, turkeys, 
you know, me and you talk about a lot about going out west and stuff like that. Have you ever considered trying to do a spring turkey hunt for maybe a different uh, category like a Merriam or a Rio? Yeah, I have been thinking about that. I think for me, the doing one of the the western turkey hunts sounds like fun, and I think that's partly just because I, you know, you you know, I love being out west. Um, so any excuse to hunt something else out there is really intriguing to me. Um, but it seems like that'd be that'd be a sweet time to be in the wood to be in the woods and in the mountains out there, and hunting turkeys in the hills and stuff would be so different. Um, I think that'd be a lot of fun. So I have definitely been thinking about going to like. Montana or Wyoming or something like that where you've got these big rolling grassy hills and pines up on the ridges and you know it seems way different but could be fun but I just haven't you know with my schedule and everything I haven't been able to quite pull it off um, but I've been thinking about it a lot um, I know the much more easier or more easily attained would be like going down to I don't know Florida and doing one of those hunts but I don't know just doesn't have quite the same appeal. I wouldn't be opposed right. to doing it, but if I'm going to spend, you know, so much money to travel for 10, 18 hours away from home, I think I'd rather go west than way south, but I don't know. You? What about you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I My goal, it's uh, kind of a, a crazy pipe dream, but I want to do, I want to get the slam, North American slam. I don't you know. You do. If I, you really want to get them all, huh? I want to get them all. And... I want like I think the Rios and the Merriams are the next easiest for the Eastern, and then the hardest one is the um, the Osceola, and then I don't know if I want to add the Mexican uh, Gould, the Gould, the Gould, yeah, yep, yeah. In, into the category or not. But it would be really fun. I've talked to a guy who's done it at uh, the ATA show a couple years ago, and he's like, you know, it, turkey hunting's not at all like deer hunting for some reason big game puts a lot more pressure on people than a bird does. And you go out and you just have fun as opposed to, you know, all this strategy and stuff that goes with these, these giant animals. Yeah, man, I, I do love it. It's a, it's so much fun, but it, it is kind of the big game of bird hunting, you know, right? Yep. of all, of all the kinds of bird hunting, it is the most like big game at least. And maybe that's why I enjoy it so much because it is, you know, you are hunting, you know, like a single animal and there's calling and there's stalking or there's ambush. You know, it's definitely very different than like duck hunting or upland bird hunting where you're just walking around trying to flush something. So I don't know. It's like I love turkey hunting because of how engaging it is, you know, yeah. like the fact that you are interacting with that animal in the calling and everything. Um, but then you also have the ability to, you know, run and gun and, and actually yep. be up and moving between those two things. Like I'm just getting pumped. Like right now I'm definitely getting pumped. I drove around the neighborhood last night, just scouting fields to see where the turkeys were out. And this morning from my office, I could see across the road onto this neighbor's property and a bunch of gobblers were out across there all strutted up and nice. you know, moving back and forth. And so I just sat for like 15 minutes with my binoculars staring out the window, achieving nothing, but yeah. it was fun. Right. Um, so I, I'm definitely, definitely getting pumped. I can't, I haven't heard my first gobble yet, so I'm pretty excited for that. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't been out. I've seen definitely, I've seen several strutters from the road, but uh, haven't had the opportunity to get out and, and do any listening. But um, it is definitely one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, and I don't know how you were raised or how you started turkey hunting, but my two uncles got me into turkey hunting and 
they are the with a gun and it was run and gun all the way call for a little bit no response you walk 50 60 yards set up and you just cover an entire section of timber and we did it all on public land up in northern iowa and uh um call a little bit you know you wait maybe some will come in maybe some won't and uh and you just keep moving until you find them. And that's how I personally have been successful over the years as far as a strategy is concerned. What about you? Yeah, so I literally, like I said, I went out for one year with a friend, um, but but that that friend didn't really know what he was doing either. <laughs> so after that, I just basically taught myself, just read a lot of magazines and watched videos and stuff like that. So what I do a kind of a combination of all of the above depending on the type of property. Um, you know, typically I try to just, you know, if I can roost them the night before, figure out at least where I either roost them the night before and figure out where they're roosted that day, or just from historical knowledge, here's where I think these turkeys are going to be roosted, and then sneak in as close as I can the next morning, and then hopefully, you know, have a good setup and they'll come in. So what I've done both here in Michigan and Ohio is, you know, get in there early in the morning as close as I can get to the roost with a couple decoys set up, and I'll usually hunt them at that decoy spread for the first couple hours in the morning. Um, so in both cases, both both of the two main properties that I hunt, um, I actually don't have really good roosting on those properties. They tend to roost on the neighbors. Um, so I am kind of waiting for them to slowly make their way to my property. So in both cases, it usually takes about an hour for them to kind of slowly work their way from wherever they're strutting first thing in the morning. And usually it seems like that like an hour, hour and a half later, they kind of cycle through and kind of move towards my area. And then uh, that's been when I've been, been able to catch them. But what I'll usually do is so that for that first like two hours, I'll wait there. Hopefully they'll come my way. But if nothing happens in that first two hours, um, then I like to get up and start moving around and try to run and gun and, and see if I can't get something talking. And then I'll usually do that till, you know, I don't know, late, late, uh, late morning, early afternoon. And then, um, then I'll call it and then come back on the evening and, and try to kind of do the same thing, but the opposite. So that's what I've done on those two main properties. And I, I don't move around as much in those just simply because they're, they're small properties. And I just, if, if it's not happening here, it's not going to happen in the other spot. I could go a hundred yards you know, away. Um, but I have hunted some other farms that my buddies own or have permission on where you can you know, walk for thousands of acres or hundreds of acres yeah. at least. And that's definitely a fun way to, to, you know, just move around and find different sets of birds. And one of my, I can't remember if I told you the story last year, but, um, me and a buddy, um, went with Corey. Um, he's, you know, my buddy Corey, he had not gone out turkey hunting at all last year. So we were with him like one night. We're like, dude, you got to get out. We'll take you out. Um, so he, he's basically came along with the gun and we were kind of the guides um, cause he, he's not super into it, but, um, we, we set up one spot in the morning and just, there was just nothing going. So after like an hour there and nothing was talking, we decided, okay, we're going to get up in this, this area, my friend and his family own and have access to a whole bunch of property in this area. So literally you could just drive up and down the roads and everything you can see pretty much is acts is land that we could hunt. So we just drove the roads until we spotted turkeys way, way, way off in this field and, um, okay, spotted some birds, spotted some gobblers, and then put together a plan of, okay, we think that they're going to keep moving that direction. So we drove then half a mile down the road, came around a corner, parked the, tr parked the truck around behind a hedgerow, and then, like, ran, like, three-quarters of a mile to try to get 
and up in front of where we thought those gobblers were going to head. We cut them off, and finally, you know, we we thought we were within range or with you know in the same area they'd be headed. We were back on the other side of the hill, though, so we waited. Finally, heard one of them gobble. So then, okay, we've relocated them. They're coming where we thought they were, and so we made another move, got right up in front where where we thought they'd go. Did a little bit of yelping, and it just worked out perfect. They came right in, and it was it was a super cool hunt because it had all that driving around, spotting, making a plan, running around trying to get in in the right spot, and uh, that was a super cool hunt. So I really do enjoy those hunts where you get to be really active and you know trying to make a move on something. Yeah. All right. Now for this portion of the show, it's going to be called my favorite thing about turkey hunting is. All right. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to go first so you kind of get an idea of what what to do here. Okay. Okay. All right. My favorite thing about turkey hunting is is when you're sitting with your back to a tree and you're you know you hear some gobbles in front of you, and all of a sudden those gobbles stop. And you think, man, okay, those times have gone away. And then all of a sudden, you hear, thump, boom, boom, and there's a strutter right behind you, and it freaks you out. Ooh, I like that. That's my favorite thing about turkey hunting. Okay. Now my right. turn? Your turn. All right. My favorite thing about turkey hunting is when you're sitting up against a tree, and you're hearing a gobbler for a while out there in the distance, and then he stops. And then you don't hear anything for a while, and you think, oh, man, they're gone. And then, like, 15 minutes later or 10 minutes later, all of a sudden, you hear, <laughs> but, like, 10 <laughs> yards behind you. Just, like, makes you jump out of your skin. Right. You're like, holy crap, he's right there. That is my favorite thing. I love when one of those gobblers is oh, so yeah. close, and it surprises you. And it just every hair on your body just stands straight up, and you feel it in your gut, and you're just like, holy crap. Crap. <laughs> it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Oh, that is an adrenaline rush that I just love. Yeah. That that's uh Oh man, I've had it I've had times where my uncle uh, he's the guy who taught me pretty much everything I know about turkey hunting. So we go out and the sun's just coming up. We pull into uh um we pull in and I shut my door really quiet and he just slams his car door as hard as he possibly could. And, and you get <laughs> yes. that, sh that shot gobble. The what shot I call gobble it. is awesome. And then there's like four or five of them sound off and he's like, they're here. <laughs> and we just that, walk into the woods and kill them. That is, that, that's probably my second favorite thing. Or maybe, maybe it is my first favorite thing is like first thing when you get in the morning, like you, you sneak into wherever you're going to set up and then that first bird goes off and then, because that bird goes off, the next one goes off, and then the next one, and the next one, and you get this, like, cascading effect of gobbles yep. going up and down the ridge or something. Like, that, yeah. oh, every time it happens, every morning, like, when I'm with, especially if I'm with a friend, you just look at each other and just start laughing, because this is so awesome. <laughs> Turkey hunting's fun. It really is. If you haven't done it, excuse me, if you haven't done it, you really got to try it. Yep. To everyone, not you, Dan, but to everybody else out there. <laughs> yep. Turkey hunting's fun. All right, so... Are you ready for the next topic? Yeah. What do we got? Okay. Next hey, topic. Hey, hey, hold on. Yeah. Before we do that, how'd my gobble sound? Oh, it was horrible. Ah, dang it. <laughs> I, I feel pretty good about it. I was, I was in Cabela's the other day, and I was, I don't know about you, but <laughs> whenever I walk past the, the, the aisle with all the turkey calls, I can't help but start yelping and making turkey noises. With your own mouth. With my own mouth, yeah. Okay, and so uh, then you're that guy. I am so that guy. And it, my wife was pissed at me. She's like, you are so annoying. But I kept when I, doing it. When I used to go to a lot of trade shows, 
we would always joke around with other people who had booths next to like the the guy who sold sold coyote calls uh-huh. or turkey calls or elk calls or any type of call because for three straight days you would hear or you know like some dump. Now that wasn't that bad, Mark. I thank you, thank you. I'll I, give credit on that. Thank you, sir. I feel like I'm pretty decent with uh, just my own vocal cords. Um, I wouldn't. I, well, I wouldn't enter competition. Let's just say. <laughs> okay, so let's hear your let's hear your no call elk bugle. Ooh, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! I was hoping I could get you to embarrass yourself. I I, I don't even know how I would do that. I, I well, I mean, I could try. But I really, I really shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Are you ready for the next topic? I'm ready for the next topic. Okay. This is dream hunt. Dream okay. hunt. Dream hunt. So you've already done an elk hunt and you've been successful at an elk hunt. You've done a whitetail hunt. You've already been, you've already been successful as far as a whitetail hunt in the uh, Midwest and whatever. So you have the, again, blank canvas. What is your dream hunt? One species can't, and I'm going to put a stipulation. Can't be whitetail. Okay. One species, one hunt. Is there, um, (laughs) okay. It is without a doubt an Alaskan hunt. Okay. Going to Alaska and I, I would, I would love to tie together several different species, but since I can't, if I had to just choose one, I'd probably have to say it would be, oh man, Alaskan moose. It would okay. be like a flying hunt and like a flying hunt into some deep, deep wilderness area where you get dropped off with a raft maybe and you, you hunt out in the back country for a moose and then if you get one, you pack them into the raft and you raft out some river out to the nearest road 50 miles away or something. And, and all along the way, you get to do some fly fishing. Yep. And and uh, I don't know, that the, the next it's between that and like a Brooks Range sheep hunt. I'd love to get up way up in the mountains and chase sheep. Um, but, but I'd probably have to go with moose first. And that'd be a bow hunt. Bow hunt for moose, deep in the bush. Um, do it yourself is what my dream hunt would be. I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to agree with you on that. Yeah. We're on, we're on the same page. huh? We're kind of on the same page. I don't know what it is about an animal that is three times your size. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad. Jeez, Mark, (laughs) you need to come out with the Mark Kenyon call system. (laughs) I'll I'll put together a little tape that you can download (laughs) with just me making animal, reproductive noises they're like calling noises (laughs) okay quick story from college i'm gonna make this as fast as possible oh i do not know how this can be relevant to college but it can't be good (laughs) it's gonna be it's awesome i i mean okay so my buddy had a house that sat in between so it went frat house frat house my buddy's house frat house so these guys location 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 right so um, we had a lot, let's just say we had a lot of fun messing with these frat guys. All right. I believe that. So one day I'm helping some chick move into her apartment and a box kind of breaks open and a whole bunch of cassette tapes fall out. 
right? So me and my buddy are helping her pick these cassette tapes up and I see one and it's rabbit distress call. <laughs> nice. Okay. You know, oh, yeah. that, that kind of, there right? you go. Annoying is all get out. So there's this party frat, they're fr- this frat. They're having their rush party or whatever, you know, all, everybody comes in. It's the new people, whatever, whatever frats do. Now, me and my buddy are like, hey, let's go over there. Let's let's just walk in and see. You know, we walk in and we don't look anything like the collared, pop collared, hair gel type. You know, I'm probably wearing, if I had to guess my college days, I'm probably wearing a pair of cargo shorts with a bush light t-shirt. Oh, you popped your collar. There's no collars on bush light t-shirts. <laughs> okay. So this, this frat house had their stereo system inside of a closet and in this closet was had a window so i had this rabbit distress signal or call tape in my pocket so i'm like i'm gonna put that in their tape cassette and i'm gonna play that so i walk in there kind of nonchalantly close the door behind me lock it i put the rabbit distress signal uh sig- call cassette in the stereo system and I crank it. I jump out the window (laughs) (laughs) and I walk back to the front of the house and it is just, it is the most (laughs) awesome thing I've ever seen. All these people are looking around like, what the hell is going on? The party, just everybody starts leaving. The cops get called. Oh, it was awesome. It was awesome. That's like one of my, and we just had a really good laugh after that. Oh man, well done, sir. Yeah, well done. Yep. So, dream hunt. <laughs> <laughs> Can't top that one. Nope. So, okay, because you said moose, you know, I would love to do the same thing. Float down like the Yukon River mm-hmm. or something like that, and arrow a moose. Now, I would also love to do some kind of since I haven't done it yet, high country mule deer hunt. Yeah, yeah. But I want to wait until after they're out of velvet. For some reason, shooting a velvet animal does not interest me. Have we talked about that before? I can't remember. I don't remember. Do you you find interest in a velvet hunt? Because I'm kind of like you. Like, I'm not not opposed to it. Like, so if I was doing it, like, you know, I'm doing an early season hunt this year in Montana for whitetails. If If a mature buck comes in front of me and has velvet... I won't not shoot him because he's in velvet, but if two bucks come by, one's in velvet, one's hardhorned, I would definitely choose the hardhorn. I just don't have that desire to shoot a velvet buck. It just, I don't know. I right. just, I love hardhorns. The feeling, the look, the way you, they, you know, when you touch them, everything about them, I just prefer that. I don't know. It's a, I, don't, I don't know why, but you agree with that? I, I kind of agree. Um there are some hunting shows out there that I've seen where it looks like the antlers of some of these bucks that they're shooting are not even fully developed yet. Like the tips are still rounded. Right. Right. I just don't get that. But you know, to each his own, if you love to shoot velvet antlers, go do it. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. I, I guess, no. you know, just the one thing I would worry about is I don't remember if you, if you remember that episode we had with Dan weeks, the taxidermist, but there's like, all sorts of oh, stuff yeah. that goes into trying to preserve that velvet. That seems like a big headache too. So just from that standpoint, I'm like, I don't want to deal with more of a hassle than I have to. Right. Um, so that's another thing to think about. But I don't know. I'll see you this this season. I'll I'll probably it will be my first 
potential chance to shoot a buck in velvet. So I'm sure that'll be something I'll be thinking about a lot more than I ever have. Gotcha. All right. Now we we've talked about hunting, but do you have a dream fishing trip? Ooh, ooh, a dream fishing. We trip. never we never talk about fishing on this show. We never do talk about fishing. I love to fish. You love I to love, fish. I love you? to fish. Yeah. Favorite North American uh, fish to catch? Ooh, wow. Um. All right. It's changed for me over the course of my life. Okay. For a long time, it used to be bass. Just love. I was a huge. I was a hardcore bass fisherman. I used to fish tournaments and everything. Wait a second. You used to fish in fishing tournaments. Yeah. For some reason, I cannot. I cannot imagine that. Really? I can't picture that. I thought and this will be this is kind of funny. When I was in high school, I wanted to be a professional bass fisherman. I thought I was going to grow up to be on the you know the bass tournament and be one of those guys in the NASCAR shirts on a boat and uh, holds the fish as you know almost like shed hunting where they hold the fish as close to the camera right. as humanly possible. <laughs> yeah, yep. I wanted to be Kevin Van Dam, who's like the Michigan guy who's like one of the best bass tournament. Fisherman of all time, uh, so that was my idol. That's what I wanted to be for for a period of years. Um, so I still love bass fishing, but don't do it as much as I used to. Um, now I've kind of transitioned to you know, as, as you know, spending more time out west. So I've really caught the fly fishing bug. So trout have been what I've been really into recently. But I also really love catching huge northern pike. I used oh, yeah. to go up to Canada a lot and fish for walleye and pike up there. And there's something about tearing in a huge spinnerbait or massive MEP spinner or something and then just getting a just a clobber and buy a 35 inch pike that just tears your arm off I mean that that's a lot of fun too um so I would say my favorite species would have to be one of those three I'm having a hard time choosing one okay for me my my answer is real simple hands down right now if I could go fishing for one species today I would pick smallmouth bass yeah I love smallmouth bass. They fight like nothing else in in North America anyway. And I absolutely – if I could go – if I could hunt one fish every day for the rest of my life, it would be smallmouth. If you could hunt one fish? That's what you just said. Yeah, hunt them with lures (laughs) and a pole. (laughs) Speaking of hunting fish though, one of my favorite things when it comes to fishing is sight fishing. So – you know, fishing in a place because it kind of feels like you're hunting. So, like when I used to be a big bass fisherman, I used to love using soft plastics and flipping and pitching soft plastics to to fish. I could see in shallow water, um, doing different things like that. Or now in fly fishing, you know, you're you're kind of sight fishing a rising trout. You're seeing where a trout is consistently rising and then trying to make a move on it and then drop your fly in the right place to to entice that fish to take it. Um, so I really do love fishing that that kind of feels like hunting versus just randomly casting a lure. And I enjoy that too, um, you know, when you're just casting into something you can't see and bringing it up. But I do love that element when there is like some type of visual aspect of fishing where you're going after a single fish maybe that you're seeing or watching rise or you think there's a fish there and you can be pretty strategic about trying to, you know, place your lure in the right place. I really get a kick out of that. Gotcha. All right, now – Last fishing question. Well, we didn't we didn't talk about the dream trip yet. Oh yeah, that's that's what I was going to transition into. Oh, sorry. So your dream, dream your dream fishing trip. Can I give you two answers? Because I'm having a hard time. Well, no. Yeah, no. Go for it. 
All right. So I'll allow it. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Host. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So my, I would probably, I would probably again say my dream fishing trip is Alaska. So again, hunting and fishing trip would be Alaska doing um, a, a fly fishing trip for salmon. Well, I probably wouldn't use a fly rod for salmon. I'm not that good, but I do salmon. Excuse me. I've got some, some belching going on over here. <laughs> um, salmon slash fishing for trout with my fly rod too. Some kind of just Alaskan trip. I don't, I don't know the specifics. I would just want to go to Alaska, go deep into the back country again, and then just fish my way out and just do nothing but, but eat fish and cast for fish and just spend a lot of time out there fishing for all sorts of crazy stuff out there. Um, just in general, I want to spend a couple of weeks hunting and fishing in Alaska on my own or with a couple of buddies and just experience all it has to offer. That's my dream. Really, really, really want to do that. Um, but my second fishing trip would be to go fly fishing for trout in Patagonia. Oh, yeah. I, I am fascinated by Patagonia, and I would love to get down there. They've got incredible trout beautiful, beautiful rivers and mountains. And it just looks like everything I've read says Patagonia is like Montana from 80 years ago or a hundred years ago. So I would love to experience that. So that is my number one trip and my number one, a trip. Nice. You could hunt red stag down there too. Are there red stag in Patagonia? I think so. I, because Patagonia is in Argentina, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's on the border. It's kind of that region between Argentina and Chile. Okay. Yeah. So, so I think so. I think. Interesting. Interesting. So. What about you? My dream fishing trip would be the Amazon jungle topwater fishing for peacock bass. Hmm. Nice. That's that's a good one. Peacock, gas, pe- peacock bass are awesome. They've, uh, I guess they've transferred somehow some of them into some lakes in Florida where the cold temperatures don't bother them. Like the cooler, if you can think Florida has cooler temperatures, right. it's different than the Amazon. But I've seen some of those those peacock bass, and they're the size of salmon. I mean, they're big fish. Oh, yeah. And they, they're just nasty, right? They're, 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 they're aggressive. Insane. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that would be that'd be that'd sweet. That would be a trip. That would be a trip. I um I went to the fly fishing film tour in Denver this past uh, I don't know January when we were on our last vacation out west, and um, they had uh, one of the films was Dorado fishing somewhere down in the rainforest in one of those countries down there, and Dorado is just kind of a, a huge predatory predatory fish down there, kind of similar ish to um, to peacock bass at least visually I thought I thought to myself and they were just looked like an insane. Just insane fish to to go after. That looks that does look like a lot of fun. I just, for me, the rainforest like that region just doesn't have quite the same appeal for me. Right. From like uh, I don't know, I, I just wet and humid and huge rats and huge spiders <laughs> and huge snakes it would just be. I think it'd Bugs. be more stressful than than relaxing. From I would rather deal with grizzly bears and wolves than. Spiders and snakes, personally. <laughs> right. That kind of that kind of transitions me into the next question, and that is, do you have any interest in hunting Africa? Ah, very interesting question. I've been thinking about this, um, and again, I, I don't. I, I think I'm getting really old because I'm already forgetting. Like, I, I never know if we've already talked about things. I feel like, you know, back when I was a kid, and my grandpa would tell stories, and he'd tell the same story like eight times. 
like yeah. over the course of two years. I'm like, oh, grandpa. In my head, I'm thinking, I've heard this story over and over. And now I'm worrying I'm becoming that guy already. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if we haven't talked about this already, um, here are my thoughts. I, I went to, well, for the longest time, I've had no interest in hunting Africa. Right. Um, and then I went to the SCI, the uh, Safari Club International Convention this past February to cover it for, um, for a magazine assignment, essentially, for Outdoor Life. And while I was there, I was kind of thinking about this more. You know, why don't I want to hunt there? Why do all these other people want to hunt there? What is the allure of Africa? Um, and I kind of, my interest in Africa changed a little bit. Before, I had no interest in going there at all. Now, I, I might be interested in going because there are some fascinating cultural things and just the, the wildlife down there is, is unbelievable. I still just personally don't have the interest in hunting there, though. I don't have an interest in killing something there. I'd love to go down there and see these animals, watch these animals, um, but I just don't have the desire to kill one. I, I have a hard time explaining why. I think part of it is because there's there's so many animals here in North America that I'd love to still hunt and that I have like a context with and I've, I've thought about and seen and wondered about and been fascinated with here in North America. And I also feel confident about our ability to manage those species and to keep those species around for a long time. And I feel really good about the system in place to make sure that, you know, these things are handled properly. In Africa, it just seems like so much more of a tenuous situation. Like, I, I, I know and I understand and I've looked a lot into the importance of hunting in Africa. Like, there really is, there really is a need for the funds and the management that comes from hunters participating in the hunting down in Africa. So that, that's an important thing, and I'm glad people go down there and do it. Um, I just, I don't know. I just don't personally, I, I, wouldn't, I, I couldn't kill an elephant. I would not want to shoot an elephant. I wouldn't want to shoot a rhinoceros. Or I wouldn't want to shoot a lion. Um, I don't know if that's just because, I don't know, because they're rare, because they, they feel so rare to me, because they feel so endangered to me. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not saying if someone out there wants to go do that, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but I'm just saying, I think for me, it just doesn't feel right. Um, plus I also have this thing where I don't, I can't justify killing something just personally, unless I'm going to eat it. Right. And so I don't know if I have the desire to, to eat an elephant or eat uh, a lion or whatever. Um, so I don't know. These are these are things I don't have like a really good answer, I guess. But these are kind of like the feelings and thoughts that are kind of churning around in my head when I think about this. Um, so that's a long way of saying no. I'm not interested in hunting in Africa. I may be interested in going to Africa, learning more about it, being out there. Um, but I don't think I'd shoot anything. Right. At this point in my life, I would say no. But I talked with a guy who has been there and he's killed almost every species. All right. And so he sits here and he tells me, you know, I used to think the same thing you did, but when you get there and now I want you to rub your, your thumb and your finger together. Doesn't make a very, very loud noise, right? To you at this point, right? It's not, it's not a loud noise. Yeah. He's like, it is so quiet over there that that noise is almost deafening. Because it's so quiet. Nice. So the way he explained it, and of course, 
you know, he hunted over a water hole or, you know, they throw some food out because their hunting regulations as far as bait is concerned are not like here in the United States. But he, he shot, you know, a kudu, you know, the, all these rare animals and, and all that stuff. And he's like, I used to think that until I had the opportunity to go. And then me and my wife went every year for like 10 years in a row. Wow. And um, he had some money. But for me, elk, mule deer, you know, bighorn sheep, moose, all these things are higher on my list right now than going to Africa. Yeah. Yeah, I think that uh, there, we've got so many options right here relatively close that, you know, we can participate in for pretty affordable, not, not everything, but a lot of them are pretty affordable, pretty attainable. Um, plus, man, I, I and this is just me personally, but I just love that that land, those landscapes out west oh, yeah. and up in Alaska and Canada. I just love that habitat and that terrain, mountains, pines. I, I prefer that over. And again, maybe 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 a change if I went there. You know, I've never experienced it, so I'm I'm judging one thing I've experienced a lot versus something I've only ever seen on TV. So maybe, it's, like you said, maybe once you get there, it's different. Um, but for now, man, I'll I'll take a mountaintop any day. Right fact all right so typically at this point of the show or earlier we say hey now we have to have a break from our sponsors right which is sitka gear right that's true the titles for the show now because i have myself a a gear podcast i want to talk about your favorite piece of sitka clothing that you have Hmm. very good question um (laughs) All right. Um, If I had to pick just one piece of clothing that's my very favorite, I would say it would be my Fanatic hoodie. I love, love, love my Fanatic hoodie. I just got this last year, so I only wore it for one year so far. But I wore it on literally every single hunt. Every single one of the hunts I went on last year, I wore it. And I would feel horrible without it now that I now that I've experienced a hunt with it. So basically for those not familiar, the Fanatic hoodie is kind of a mid-layer um light fleece, kind of a gridded fleece interior with a non it's not like a puffy like not, not like a puffy fleece or anything, but a, a very thin micro-gridded fleece with some elasticity to it that fits well to your body. It's got a, a kind of kangaroo pocket in the middle, down for your hands. It's got a deep zippered kind of half zip that comes down. Um, but what where I really like is two things. One, it's that right kind of um, level of warmth to breathability factor, where it adds it adds a nice bit of warmth to you, to your system. But at the same time, you can wear it on warmer days. So I could go out on a day where it's sixty five degrees and and be okay having that over you know towards the end of the night. Um, when it cools down a little bit, it's not so warm of a piece that I can't wear it on those early season hunts. But then in the late season, it's a terrific base to mid layer to to give me that additional warmth. And, and the two things that I really like though are um, one first and foremost is the hood, the hoodie. I, I wear the hoodie all the time. It's it's kind of one of those tight kind of like uh, if you're familiar with like the climber type hoods um, or small fleeces like Patagonia has one. A lot of different climbing and outdoor companies have these types of hoodies where they're this type of shirt that has this like tight elastic hoodie, the hood that comes over so that what's nice about it is it, is it holds t- tight to your head and doesn't impact your peripheral vision. If you take a typical hood which is big and sticks out from your head, 
your your peripheral vision on either side is kind of blocked out by the hood and when you can't see to your left or to your right but with this hood that on the sick of hoodie that sticks close to your head you don't have that issue so you can put this hoodie on and it, it covers your head gives you a little extra warmth blocks any wind on your neck which is really nice for me and it has a built-in face mask so it flips down from the inside of that hood and covers your face so now I don't wear I don't bring any other face mask I don't wear any face paint I just pull on that hoodie pull up the face mask and I'm in ninja mode I'm covered completely it's tight to my face it doesn't impact me at all it doesn't bother me when I draw my bow um, and it's just super super nice and then the on the arms there's flip out kind of hand mitts I don't know how to, it's really hard to describe um, but in Embedded in the sleeve kind of is some additional fabric that flips over your hand. So if it's like a cold morning and you don't want to have big heavy gloves when you grab your bow, but if you have to grab your bow, you flip over these mitts and it doesn't bother you, your grip at all, but it'll keep your hand warm against the bow riser or whatever you're doing. It's just a really nice kind of included feature that is not in any way kind of bulky or bothersome, but when you need it, it's available. Um... So I don't know, between those couple things there, I really, really like that piece. And like I said, it's every single hunt, I'm wearing it. Same thing for turkey season, I'll be wearing it every single hunt, whether it be out west or here or turkeys. Um, that's the piece I'm wearing. So what about you? You've been so, able to wear Sitka for a year now. What do you think? Right. What's, your, so, what's your favorite piece? This is my first year actually adhering to a layering system, all right? And I loved it. Now... I, before my Western hunt, I did a lot of research where it was, okay, make sure you have some kind of down or wool or, or you know, make sure you get wool socks because they're breathable or, you know, and then the pluses and minus of all that stuff. So I didn't have this, the, the wool or excuse me, the down lightweight vest. Okay. And that's my favorite piece by, that yeah. they make. Yeah. So I, I picked it up at uh, Shields. And that's a sporting goods store here in Iowa and took it on the trip. Now I really didn't need to wear it a lot, but when I came back, you're talking about our Idaho trip, right? Our our Idaho trip. I didn't really need to wear it a lot because I mean, it was cool, but not cold and we were moving enough and I was out of shape enough to where I was sweating (laughs) and wet and warm regardless. Yeah. So, but here's the crazy part. I wore this one simple little, uh, I guess vest and it, you can, you can wad the entire vest up into the size of a baseball. Okay. So that's how lightweight this thing is. And I would put it on walking to the tree stand, right? So it's open. So if I would get warm, um, the, the air could escape and I would dress real light on the walk in. But when I'd get to my tree stand and start getting settled down, I'd zip that thing up. And then I'd throw my, um, so I would wear my, uh, fanatic hoodie and then I'd put my down vest over top of it. And then I'd put my, uh, um, safety harness over that. And then I'd put on one of my jackets. Now I'm telling you right now, I would purchase if, if it was a one season use only, then you had to throw it away. I would purchase one of those every season. <laughs> it, it blocks out so much wind and the, um, I don't know what, what's that called? Uh, warmth versus weight ratio mm-hmm. or something like that is so factor. high. Yeah. The law factor is so awesome that I, you can literally wear less clothing and stay warm. 
And that is awesome because I've always been old school. Hey, I'm cold. Well, let's throw on a one more cotton hooded sweatshirt. Yeah. And then I'm looking like the kid from the Christmas story. <laughs> yeah, this is a big improvement on that. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you liked it. I was, you know, I told you for a while how much I thought you would like that stuff. And then I know you, you know, been skeptical a little bit. So I'm glad to hear that, uh, that it's worked out well for you and, and helped you on your hunts. Cause I, uh, I think there's, there's something to be said, you know, if you're someone who's out there a lot and hunting a lot and in these tough conditions, having the right gear, whether, you know, whatever brand you prefer, but, but this kind of advanced gear, I think really does help for those that are serious, serious, serious about it. So I'm glad it worked for you. Yep. I loved it. Yeah, that's that, awesome. That's my favorite. Uh, that's my favorite piece from Sidka. All right. So what's next? I'll tell you what's next. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is fun for me. I might make you do this more often. Okay. So the next category <laughs> is because we just got serious, right? With Sitka. So we paid your bills. Right? <laughs> Thanks we, for that. <laughs> yep. No worries. We got that out of the way. All right. Now we're going to, oh, we're going to take a, a bit, a bit of a 180 and we're going to talk about going to the bathroom while you're in the tree stand. Oh, great topic. Yep, great topic. A lot of people, a lot of a lot of requests for this. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so when you pee or when you have to, when nature calls, we're going to start off with number one. When when nature's nature calls and you got to pee, do you let it fly from the tree stand or do you get down or do you use a bottle? I let it fly. Okay. I flat out fly right off the tree stand. I'm not concerned about it. I've seen a number of studies that look into this, and from everything I understand, very quickly after that urine hits the ground or leaves your body, it very quickly becomes a scent and odor that deer are not bothered by. Um, so, so yeah, I used to be worried about it, but after seeing some of these studies, it seems to me that there's no nothing to worry about. So I let her rip. Okay. I'm a let it rip guy too. I used to, um, I used to be a, a bottle guy where I'd pee into a bottle and then I'd keep, and then I'd forget about it. And it been in my, in the backseat of my truck for like six months. Mm. <laughs> and then, and then you pull it out while that you're cleaning. no good. No, it's not good. And then you're like, Oh my God, this is disgusting. So from that point I've been, I let it fly now. <laughs> now this is where it gets serious. Number two. Number two. Number two. That means deucing it. That means going poop. Okay. Tell me more. What What does it mean? <laughs> no, really don't. <laughs> this is still your show, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. At least for the time being. <laughs> okay. So do you let it fly from the tree stand? <laughs> do you put it in a bottle? <laughs> or do you get do, down? Okay. How in, the, <laughs> how in the world do you put it in a bottle? I don't know. Maybe I, you got like that, uh, no. a Gatorade bottle and you got good aim. <laughs> I don't know if it fit, man. <laughs> I, <laughs> don't use a bottle. and That's my first piece of advice. <laughs> Maybe like a, a, a bread sack or whatever. <laughs> a bread sack? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just thinking of like everyday items that you can find around the house that have a bigger than normal. Oh, my gosh. Okay, funny story. I once hunted with a friend. I'm not going to give details here, but I hunted a certain place with a friend who was parked in the front yard of someone's place. 
um, but wasn't going to head into hunt till daylight for a certain reason. But before he had to head into hunt, he was sitting there in the truck waiting for daylight to go across this field to go hunt. And he had to go so bad, like horribly, horribly bad. But it's in an area where there's like a bunch of houses and stuff. So it wasn't like he could just easily go to the woods. It was like he had to go right then and there. But he was in a front yard surrounded by other houses. So he panicked, didn't want to just drop a deuce in this person's front yard. So he hid behind his truck, found a mire or found a grocery store grocery bag in his truck, pooped in the grocery bag, tied it up, <laughs> tied it up, put it underneath his truck tire, went hunting, forgot about it, and later drove over it when he was driving out of the yard. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. And it probably he probably left it there. No, no, he did actually take it. He 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 recovered it and properly disposed of it but the proper disposal i think was like some trash can at a store so <laughs> oh boy really really nasty stuff um but what would i do is the question i suppose yeah, what, what would mark Kenyon do mark Kenyon would not use a bread sack he would not use a gatorade bottle he would hold it as long as he possibly could but if there was no choice he would scurry down from his tree and try to get a little ways away from where he was hunting, dig a hole, lean up against a tree, take care of my business, and bury the evidence. Gotcha. That's what I do. Gotcha. Okay. Fair well, enough. What Fair about enough. You? you? You Do you go the bread sack route? Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I've I've had two occasions where I just drop right from the tree. Don't even get out of the tree. Did I feel like you once told me that you did that while your buddy Ryan was in the tree with you. Is that true? That's That's true. I think he was filming me <laughs> while was, you while you well, did it. Oh yeah, Dude, oh that is rich. We're bet we were we're good hunting buddies. That's what you don't you don't judge another hunting buddy for having to go number two. This this is quality podcast entertainment right here. Right, this right. Is, this is it. I can't. I can see the headlines now. Worst podcast ever. <laughs> the anyway, poop podcast. Anyway, um, but most of the time I'll just dig a hole with my heel at the bottom of the tree stand just depends on you know because and that's why i stop drinking coffee during hunting season Mm -hmm. because you know coffee gets the juices flowing and when i you know get in the morning and uh, you have your cup of coffee on your way to your tree and uh uh oh yeah you know can't do that i can't do that i agree no no coffee pre-hunt it's exactly. never good, but always, always bring TP with you. Yeah, that's something I've learned. Um, or you're going to be walking out of the timber with one sleeve missing off your t-shirts. Oh man! Speaking of, this is funny. This is the same friend who had the grocery <laughs> bag story. <laughs> I think I've heard this one before, but you're going to have to tell it again. Yeah, yeah. So the same friend. He has a lot of poop issues. <laughs> <laughs> we were hunting up in northern Michigan, so this is like out in the boonies. And he's hunting this property we have, and um, he got lost walking to his stand. And it's in the middle of a deep northern Michigan swamp, and he hadn't hunted there. He'd only been there like a year or two, so he didn't know the area too well. So he got lost walking in the morning, trying to find where he was going to hunt. He was getting stressed out. He drank coffee that morning, and now after wandering around in circles in the middle of the dark, in the middle of nowhere, in this huge cedar swamp, you know, that stress is building up. He's got his tummy rumbling, and he's got to go, and he's got to go bad. But he doesn't know how to get back to the cabin, and he does not know where he is, and he did not bring TP with him. So, you know, when you got to go, you got to go. So he took care of business, and he had to tear off his boxers, 
but when he tried to tear them, it left the elastic band around the middle, but everything else tore off. So he had to use that. And he came back, you know, so then he doesn't tell me about any of this stuff, obviously, until we get back to camp. And he just walks up to me and he pulls up his shirt and it just shows this ripped elastic underwear band around his belly. And I'm like, what in the world did you do? And why are you showing me this? <laughs> so always bring TP. Always. Bring always. TP. Don't don't be that guy that has nothing but a Hanes elastic band thong on. Or walk out of the timber with one sleeve. Or one missing. sleeve. Dude, here's another story. I got I've got a lot of these stories. These are weird. This is another friend who had to do this. He forgot TP, and so he had to take one of his socks off. Nice. He used a sock. He <laughs> tried to bury it, I think, but Apparently not well enough because we got back to this property shed hunting a year later and we're walking around and we walk up on a sock and I'm like, what's the sock doing out here? He's like, oh, I use that to wipe myself. <laughs> and he picks it up to bring it home with him. What? <laughs> what? I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> you oh. wiped, you, you took care of business with that sock. And he's like, well, yeah, that was, that was five months ago. And he is was, this, gonna, is this guy single? No, he's married. I'm not oh, going to well, say any more. I'm not going to say any more. That's but, all right. That's all right. Then it's okay. But I, I, I was laughing pretty hard. I was giving him a real hard time about that one. Uh, so, yeah, who knew we would have so many number two stories? Right. I have a couple more, but I think uh, we don't have time for those. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, uh, okay. I'm so sorry, guys. Everyone listening, I'm so sorry for this. <laughs> no way. I think the fan. I think the listeners are enjoying this. They are. You're right. Because you know what? Everybody can relate. Exactly. In Everybody. some way. I don't care how uptight you are, how mature you are. We can all relate to this in some small way. Well, the oldest joke in the world is the fart. That's true. Never, never gets old. Never gets old. No. Okay. <laughs> so, okay. So after that, um, okay. Favorite. Let's see. What do I want to do? I have a list here. Okay. Here's, here's, you don't have a list. You're so full of it. Well, it's kind of a list. It's just more, it looks like, like scribbles. I was going to say it's like chicken scratch and drawings probably on a piece of paper. Right. So like here, here's one. I'm going to read it. Um, music. Listen on the, on the way. <laughs> So that's what it, that's what it says. Okay. So, oh man. On your way from wherever you're staying to your hunting property, what kind of music do you listen to? All right, I, I take this very seriously. I know, and I anyway, go ahead. <laughs> I take this very seriously. Yes. So it's one of two things. I either have a I've got a CD, I've got a playlist. It used to be a CD, now it's a playlist of hunting related songs. So stuff like Fred Bear and um, oh shoot, there's a whole bunch of different hunt, Turdy Point Buck and Second Week of Deer Camp and a bunch of great hunting-related songs. So that's option number one. Okay. Option number two is techno music, like dance, uh, electronic dance music, like Pump Me Up, oomch, I'd say. Oomch, yeah. Oomch, oomch. Okay, that kind of stuff. Yeah, a lot of that. Cause that okay. gets me, gets me fired up, gets me awake. Um, so for the past several years, I've developed what I call the rut and rave playlist for the year. So every year in like October, I put together a new electronic dance music playlist for Spotify that I jam to for that whole hunting season. That's like my soundtrack for the season. And that's what gets me up and going every morning on the drive over while I'm drinking like a five hour energy 
and eat my breakfast, we jam out to that. So um, that's what I that's what I do. I think what we should do is it doesn't have to be this podcast, but me and you need to come up with our top ten hunting song, like a, a hunting list, a playlist, and then we'll post it as a blog on the Wired to Hunt. Yeah, blog. No, definitely. I, I had I posted that exact thing either last year or the or the fall before. So there is a blog post of what I post of what I had a year or two ago. So I'll, I'll post that link in the notes for this one if I remember, and then we should do an updated list for sure with with your suggestions as well. I think that would be good. I've actually had I've talked about this. I don't know where I talked about it, but I talked about this rut and rave playlist before, and I've had people request for me to send it over. I actually had somebody in my in our in our Wired to Hunt audience survey, somebody somebody requested that I share my Spotify playlist. <laughs> So there is interest. There is interest in this. Okay. Now. But what about you? Myself, I don't necessarily like to get fired up. Like, yeah. Like, I I remember when all the hunting shows used to have, like, heavy metal. Yeah. It's like they're tiptoeing into the woods and all you hear is like, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And uh, never, never really thought of hunting and heavy metal going together. Agreed. But I am a huge fan of the Black Keys, and the past two years, along with my John Lee Hooker greatest hits <laughs> album, those two, those two CDs are what I jam out to on my way to. And the specific Black Keys CD is Brothers, the album titled brothers by the black keys that's the one that i jam out to and john lee hooker's greatest hits so what what does that stuff what does it do for you is it does that get you pumped or does it just get you like in the flow and comfortable or what what does it do for you focus focused okay and it's not like uh it's not like a hey i need to bench press 200 pounds type focused or uh you know i'm gonna try to relax and go to sleep it gives me just like that I don't know, like when I think of blues, I think of like dirt roads and country and backwoods and uh, just kind of like uh, blues rock type of boom, 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 you know, that kind of okay. that kind of stuff. And for some reason, it just gets me it gets me like not fired up, but gets me focused gets you ready. and ready yeah. for the upcoming hunt. Yeah, the, you know, the, the, I think there really is something to this. Because music can really impact your mindset and your attitude and your like focus level, and that's so important going into a hunt. I really do think that your mind is so important. Just being in the right place mentally before a hunt can make a big difference, especially especially during the rut. If you've hunted days on end and you're exhausted and tired after five full day sits or whatever, I mean that is when it's just like it becomes such a mental game, and music really can help. I think. All right, so we we drive to the property, right? We are we take we get out of our truck, we walk to the tree stand, and oh man, I'm kind of hungry. What snacks did you pack for your hunting sit? Uh, you, you're just trying to get me in trouble. Well, I know <laughs> you got haters from. Uh, oh man, you got diabetes or whatever, whatever those comments were about oh, your uh, man. They came out of the woodwork and just like blasted me for an unhealthy yeah. diet. <laughs> they shamed you. They really they 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 body shamed me, Dan. Yep. They body shamed me. They diet shamed me. 
and it hurt my feelings. So let's talk about that, Mark. (laughs) (laughs) What what is in your backpack? So it depends on the time of year. If it's, uh, I I really don't, I don't bring food with me at all except for the rut. So when, uh, during the regular, during the rest of the season, just maybe a bottle of water. But during the rut, that's when I'm hunting, you know, as you know, long hours, usually the full day. So in those cases, I bring snacks because, you know, when you're on the tree for 12, 13 hours, you need something to help distract you and something to obviously keep you sustained out there. So I usually bring a variety of different things. But if I had to like, if I had to bring it, like on average, what I'd have, I've got a bottle of water, I've got some type of caffeine. So it might be a can of pop, it might be a energy drink, like a five hour energy or something like that. Um, but between the, those two, water for the full day and then like a little burst of caffeine that I'll try to take around lunch. Um, and then I'll bring usually two types of snack options and then a lunch. So lunch will probably usually be like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, some type of cracker or chip, and like a banana or an apple. Um, <clears throat> and then snacks to eat usually around, you know, like maybe 10 o'clock, nine, between 9 and 10 I'll usually have a snack, and then I might have another snack between like 2 and 3 to kind of break up my day. So like I've got, you know, you know I hunt for a couple hours, snack, a couple hours, lunch, a couple hours, snack, a couple hours, end of the hunt. So that, that snack might be jerky or some mixed nuts, um, uh, maybe some crackers or something like that, granola bar. Um, some combination of those types of things would typically be the snacks I would bring. And then maybe like a little piece of candy just as like, a to reward myself for still being there. Um, so in general, that is what I've got on those hunts. Sometimes I brought Lunchables, which sounds like a weird thing for lunch, but like it, I discovered this a couple of years ago. I don't know where I got the idea, but it, you know, sometimes it's just tough to make a sandwich and pack a lunch and all that kind of stuff. So Getting a kid's Lunchable has got some meat, some crackers, some cheese, some kind of little, you know, dessert thing in there. Just from a convenience standpoint, it looks kind of ridiculous, sounds kind of ridiculous, but it made it just convenient to grab something and go and you've got your lunch covered for those all-day sits. So I occasionally do that. Um, But otherwise, I'd say that's my general rut-related diet for during the hunt. Got you. All right. So I don't typically bring any soda or pop into the timber it's always just a bottle of water however i used to be like go to the go to the gas station the night before and get like five apple pies <laughs> and just eat apple pies all day you know the little prepackaged oh yeah apple pies now these days the last two seasons i think i've felt like some kind of sugar crash sugar rush crash where i get extra tired after i you know after that sugar wears off so now um i've been bringing baby carrots and apples and that's pretty much it for but you that's is that what you're eating for lunch or you you're saying you're usually eating lunch at the truck whenever i'm in the tree stand whether it's an all-day set which i don't typically do or let's say like uh, if I'm going in at noon and I know I have six hours ahead of me uh, of sitting or I know, hey, I'm going to try to sit from morning all the way till noon before I switch tree stands or if I know there's going to be a wind shift I'm, and I bring food in with me, it's either – these days it's just basically maybe a granola bar. This year I had some leftover uh, um, 
backpacking bars from the elk trip. So I brought some of those in with me. Yeah, since you but, bought like 72. Yeah, I think 72 was the amount of pounds that I took in <laughs> <laughs> that those bars weighed. That sounds about right. <laughs> but the baby carrots and apples, and that's the last two years pretty much that's what I've – every once in a while maybe I'll, I'll grab a granola bar. But I, I feel that eating a whole bunch of sugar and then crashing makes you more tired than what you already are. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think a generally decent diet out there does help. I, I've, I've gotten better despite what people thought when they saw that picture. Most of that was not being eaten on the stand all day. You, you have to have a little, for yeah. me, I like a little variety. You know, I'm, I reward myself with the occasional junk food, but then I also I'll eat primarily healthier food out there. Cause it's like a, it's a game. It's like you have to mental, it's a mental game. And for me, you gotta have like a little, you know, it's like that, the scare or the carrot versus the stick mentality. I want that carrot out in front of me of like something different two hours from now and something different three hours from then. Again, that's, this is for like those all day sits, which are just, you know, particularly difficult. Having some variety is something that helps for me, but I, I do agree. Keeping a, a generally healthy diet will help. Um, I cannot I personally have to be honest, I cannot claim to eat healthy dinners during those rut trips because we're yeah. out, we're living in a hotel in the middle of nowhere or, you know, wherever it is with a bunch of us guys sharing a hotel room. So you can't cook something good. You can't, you know, really do a good job of planning healthy meals. So we just end up eating junk food every night, kind of from wherever fast food place we can go. So that is our downfall probably. But uh, you know what? Live a little. Right. So <laughs> I, I, when I go on my rut vacations, I'm fortunate enough to stay with my parents because my hunting property is close to their house. So I just stay, stay there and drive to the hunting property every morning. And so I either get home cooked meals every night, which is nice. Or if for some reason my mom doesn't cook a meal, I'll throw in uh, a pizza, like a frozen pizza or maybe make a trip to Subway. But I binge eat at night. So I'm typically I'm not typically too hungry in the mornings. So I'll get hungry somewhere around 10 30, 11 o'clock. Yeah. So I, I don't eat breakfast. Do you know what this is doing? What's that making you hungry? Well, it's, yeah, that it's making me hungry and it's also getting me excited for the rut. Just talking about the rut trip, I'm getting pumped. I know. I'm I'm pumped about turkey hunting and I'm pumped about well, I'm always pumped about deer hunting. Yeah. Okay. I'm I'm real pumped. I'm, I'm, man, I'm ready. Are you pumped? I'm pumped. I'm ready to get out there. I've been scouting maps already. I've been thinking. Yep. I've been looking. I'm ready to get out to, I'm going down to Ohio again here in like a month to turkey hunt and put up cameras for the summer and do some more work. And, uh, man, you know how it is. The cycle is. endlessly re- repeats over and over. Okay. So, We've already been at this about an hour, all right, a little over an hour. So we're going to end on the last question of – this is the last question, okay? Okay. But but before we get into that last question, I have a, another question for you. How <laughs> how do you think I'm doing as a host so far? You've done well, Dan. I've done well. Okay, uh, good. Other, other than getting a really crappy guest, yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, worst other, guest ever. Other than this being the worst guest ever. This is you've done a good job. I've enjoyed it. It's been fun for me. And in about ten minutes of talking about poop, <laughs> that's been the highlight probably that's for been most the people. Okay. <laughs> okay. So other All than right. that, what's the last question? The last question 
And this is, this is something that our listeners get every day from this podcast. You know, you get the emails, I get the emails and they're kind of like, Hey man, I love this podcast. Um, I love it. You know, I've used these tactics to, um, you know, move in on a deer or next year I know where I need to be or, Hey, I helped, you know, it, you know, your guests and all the information that they've brought has gotten me information that I need to make a move on a deer. And, you know, they send you pictures like here, here's this buck I killed this year. Yeah. That's awesome. I love, I love hearing about our listeners success. That's, that is probably my favorite part of this whole deal is talking with the listeners. But now we're going to talk about Mark Kenyon. What is your favorite tactic? Now that's a very general question or very broad, vague question, right? Very, very. What is your favorite hunting deer, whitetail with a bow hunting tactic? So, I mean, do you mean like a, like a trick or like an overarching philosophy or like one basic concept that I hear that I hear to or something like that? Okay. I'll repeat myself. What is your favorite whitetail with a bow, bow hunting hunting tactic <laughs> so you're not gonna get me anymore <laughs> okay do you want I'm, me to go do you want me to go first no i'll, I'll take it I'll okay take it. okay i'll take it um i'll just answer it how i want to answer it <laughs> yeah, that's fine it's, okay it's open for interpretation it's open so yeah. if i had to think through all of the different things that i've learned over my own years of hunting and my own years of studying other resources, and now learning from all these dozens and dozens and dozens of different people I've been able to talk to through Wired to Hunt and the podcast. If I take all those things, and if I had to drill down to like the core concepts of what's the very most important thing for me when it comes to being a successful bow hunter, I think most of what I do, if I were to drill down to the essentials of it, comes down to the importance of timing. Everything for me revolves around timing. And that is by default related to pressure, right? I think everything when it comes to hunting mature bucks comes to how can you reduce hunting pressure? How can you make these deer feel comfortable and not become educated about your presence and then still be able to get in and hunt that deer, put yourself in a position to kill that deer within, you know, 30 yards or whatever without them realizing they're being hunted. So how do you do that? And I think the most important thing you can do in order to achieve that is to pay attention to your timing. By that, I mean when you hunt, when you hunt certain areas, how you approach your season based on time of year, conditions, all that. So at a, at a super high level, you know, I'm, I'm thinking through, you know, for example, I'm, I'm, not hunting certain areas at certain times. I'm not hunting at all with certain conditions. I'm planning on hunting specific stands or specific areas because of a time of year or because of a specific specific set of factors or you know intel that I've gained. Um, but but all these things relate to timing. Being really thoughtful and purposeful about choosing when you hunt why you hunt on that given date or during that given time and when you go into a certain area. So at a high level, that would be the most, I think the most like overarching philosophical view I have about deer hunting is, is everything relates to timing. 
Um, I think most of what I do revolves around that concept in some way. Um, because in the past, I thought you just hunt as much as you possibly could. Every chance I have, I'm going to hunt, and I'm going to always go to the best place I think I can go. And I've come to find that quality over quantity is a lot more important. So to get those quality sits, it comes down to picking the right times to strike, or at least picking the right times to be in the right place. So that is my answer. That's a that's a good answer. Thank you, sir. Okay. Did I answer correctly? Sure. how about you do you have a favorite tactic now i'm gonna be specific in mine my favorite tactic is because most of my the majority of my hunting you know other than the early season where i you know i can hunt the weekends so if i'm gonna approach my rut vacation all right i am going to find a bedding area on a ridge and i am going to sit on the downwind side of that either that specific bedding area or a travel corridor off that ridge to and from a bedding to or from a bedding area and i walk with my back to well it just depends on how I, i'm accessing that particular stand but a majority of my um access routes have my wind, the wind blowing against my back already in the timber. It's blowing into the timber, right? So if there is for some reason something there, it's going to bust me. But it's kind of a risky move. And that once you get to your stand, that wind is blowing off the top of the ridge down into the valley. And I have seen more deer in that scenario than any other scenario or tree stand placement that I have ever, that I, that I have. So that is my favorite because that is where I have the encounters with my biggest bucks and the, and as far as quantity of deer, the most deer I I see. So during the rut downwind of a doe bedding area or travel corridor going into a or doe out of area. a bedding area, correct. And typically this is on a ridge. On a ridge, yep. And you are going in the morning. Morning hunt. With the wind blowing into the timber, mm-hmm. off the ridge, into the valley. That's correct. All right. That sounds like a pretty decent setup. So that's my that's my favorite tactic. Good answer, my friend. Okay. Good answer. Well, my friend... I guess I'll hand the reins back over to you. What do you think? On a scale of uh, 9 to 10, how did I do? Uh, 9 to 10 is my only options. <laughs> right. So that way if you say 9, I can say, hey, you know, I did it pretty good. I got a 9. <laughs> I give you the lowest possible rating available. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Okay. I'll take you it. got a 10, Dan. You did great. You did Perfect. great. Perfect. I, I enjoyed it. This was fun. It was, uh, it was different, and uh, I laughed a lot. So high marks for laughter. Good. Good. All right. Hopefully the listeners found it this fun as well. I don't think anyone heard it, Dan. I think everyone turned off after 10 minutes. So right. I think it was, this was for you and me. This is playing in the background <laughs> while someone's doing the dishes or, you know, working on a car motor. We're going number two. <laughs> <laughs> so so I'm going to take it back from you really, really briefly here. Um, thank you, Dan, for running this one. This was fun. And we didn't even say at the beginning that, if someone's new to the show, why this happened, right. this happened because 
you won the trail camera bet last summer. Um, and so the, the winner of that got to host the show. Well, if it was you, you got to host the show. So that's why we did this. Um, and it was fun. So I might make you do it again in the future. Watch out. Hey, I say we have the same bet again. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. We'll talk about that more towards summertime. Yeah. Yeah. We, we should, we'll talk about more in the summer, which, um, I'm pumped for some big velvet bucks on trail camera. So, so that said, before we do shut down the show though, just quickly, we need to give a big thank you to our partners who help keep this podcast on the air. So big thank you to Sitka Gear, Trophy Ridge, Bear Archery, Redneck Blinds, Huntera Maps, Ozonix, Carbon Express, Lacrosse Boots, and the Whitetail Institute of North America. And finally, and most importantly, thank you everyone for joining us today, for listening, for laughing along with us. We hope you had as much fun as we did. And until next time... Dan, do you want to take it from here? Yeah, and I wrote a comment down real quick. Oh, yeah? Hopefully, this podcast was like a warm hug to your ears. (laughs) And this is a reminder from Dan Johnson and Mark Kenyon to stay wired to hunt. Bravo. (laughs) (laughs) Well done.